you join me, please, in reading a great section of scripture from Colossians? Reading together. You have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, iniquity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in life you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self when its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. There is no Greek nor Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. We will be in Colossians 3, 5 through 11. Let's pray together. Lord God, now we ask that uh, as we sit here and seek to understand what you've given to us in your scriptures, we thank you. We thank you that what you've given us is there for our strengthening and encouraging. It's there to convict us and challenge us. It's there for us to learn more and more about you so that we can walk more closely. And that is our prayer this morning, Lord. Help us to learn. Help us to grow. Help us to be able to apply these verses in a way that makes a difference in how we live. We ask this in your name. Amen. Please be seated. Let's go ahead and put that uh, list up there, sir, please. I'm going to read these, and I want you to tell me, as soon as we get to the end, what figure of speech they represent. They ran like greased lightning. He's got tons of money. I'm so hungry I could eat a horse. I'm in so much trouble, my mom will kill me. The pen is mightier than the sword, and he's dumber than dirt. Met a few people like that, by the way. What are those Hyperbole, absolutely. They are exaggerations or even sometimes they're called overstatements of something to make a point. I mean, nobody greases lightning, but the assumption is that lightning, if it was grease, would be super fast and the person running runs faster than grease lightning. So it's just such a huge exaggeration that the point is he's really fast. That's the point you're supposed to get. And the same thing with each one of those uh, as you go down through them. Now, the scriptures are full of those kinds of things, all kinds of examples. Jesus at one time said, if your right eye, right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. And you sit there, really? We start taking gouging our eyeballs out? Well, no. Jesus was saying, deal dramatically and drastically with the sin that's in your life. Um, then when Solomon was king in his early days, it says that Solomon made silver and gold as common as stones. Now, really? There was more gold and silver lying around than the stones? No, it just meant he was the 
incredibly, incredibly wealthy. So it's this, these kinds of terms, and we're going to run right into those as we look at verse 5. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature or to your sin nature. Okay, so that, there we are. We're starting out right there with one of those overstatements, one of those exaggerations that wants to make a point. So let's dig into the passage together, starting there in verse 5. Put, on, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earth, earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. So he said, I want you to put to death these kinds of things. And he mentions five sins, and he says, listen, this is something that's got to be taken care of. Put to death was that something that he understood, Paul understood, Christ had already done. Christ died for our sins. So what he's saying now is, since Christ already died for these things, why don't you live as if you're dead to them too? That's, that's kind of where he's going with this whole section here. So put to death, Christ died for him, and we know we are to count it as true, and so put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature, your sin nature, your old nature, uh, sexual immorality, the whole idea of pornea, fornication, every kind of sexual activity there outside of marriage. Uh, and the warning isn't against sex, it's against the perversions and the distortions of it. That's what the um, <clears throat> immorality means. Then impurity, which is wider and can include all kinds of different things. Lust, uncontrollable passions, evil desires, that's illicit cravings, sinful desires, overwhelming desires, and greed, which is idolatry, um, which this is not just, well, he's a little bit greedy. No, this is a very, very strong, um, ruthless greed is how it's described by some uh, that seeks to satisfy in the things below on earth rather than, like we studied last week, the things above. We told last week, set your mind on things above. Set your heart on things above. And here are people who are definitely setting their hearts on things below. They want what's here, and they want more of it. Um, Romans one twenty five says this, speaking about people in this world, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator. And so greed and sexual sins and all those kinds of things uh, pile into this whole idea of the relationship and, and worshiping anything but God, seeking anything but God, seeking pleasure everywhere except through God. And so that whole idea of, of greed and sexual sins in our relationship with God is something that he's saying, I, I want you not to focus on the things of this world. Matter of fact, set your mind on things above. So the main thought seems to be here in verse 5, we should not live the way we used to. And he's speaking to the Colossians who were converted and saved and born again, and he's saying, now, you have been saved, and I know the culture that you're in with all of the idolatry and everything else that's there and, and all of the immorality. You should be living differently. You should be living in a way that shows you don't belong to that world anymore. And I thought of this as I was thinking about this week, you know, I understand Paul making this point very strongly because he's writing to people who were adults when they became believers, and he's dealing with a pagan, totally pagan culture that they came out of. But I was thinking, you know, 
for me, I have to kind of look at it and say, okay, so I was saved at five. I wasn't leaving behind a whole life of hideous evil that I had been committing yet. And so I look at that in light of this, and I have to start thinking and saying, okay, so maybe I wasn't like the folks in Corinth, but I still need to live in a way that shows God that I am seeking to honor Him in everything. And so that's just one of those things that as, I'm, as you're reading it, we, we think those through. And, and verse 6, it says, because of these, the sins that he mentioned here, plus some he's going to mention in verse 8, because of these, the evil things that are mentioned, the wrath of God is coming. Okay, so he's saying these kind of things will be punished. God's wrath will take care of these kinds of things. Um, it's God's anger against sin and his judgment will come. Galatians 6 7 makes it very clear. Don't be under any illusion. You cannot make a fool of God. A man's harvest in life will depend entirely on what he sows. So think about what, what Paul's saying in the book of Galatians. Hey, you, your whole life is dependent on what you sow. What kind of things are you sowing? And, and if you're a believer, then you should not be out there sowing things in areas that that you shouldn't be involved in. And so, as we think of the wrath of God coming, God's wrath for the unbeliever will be eternal punishment because they rejected Jesus Christ the Savior. But God's wrath for the believer really is God's discipline on us. And that can be seen even today in many ways. Loss of rewards in heaven, but also loss of, of His um, helping us here and now sometimes. Loss of blessing Loss of peace. Have you ever lost that sense of peace with God? It's time to look at what's going on and, and get right. Loss of life sometimes. In 1 Corinthians 11, Paul says that the Lord took some people home because they were causing so much damage. And so he took them home rather than allowing them to, be, to continue in the church damaging it. So because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In verse 7, you used to walk in these ways in the life that you once lived. So you used to, and this is awesome, isn't it? Paul is saying, I'm giving you all this instruction and this teaching. Now I know that that's not where you are. You used to be there, but you're not any longer. You used to walk in these ways in your past life before you came to Christ. In the life you once lived, before you turned to him, before you God, the forgiveness that God offers freely, before you accepted all of that, that's where you used to live, and that's what you used to be like. And then he goes on to say, and we had five sins he mentioned in verse um, five, and, and he mentions another five here in verse eight. But now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these. In other words, put it off. Rid yourself is the same kind of ideas. You're covered with just stinky, smelly, dirty stuff, clothing, throw it off. Throw it off. So get rid of <clears throat> any of those things. A suit of clothes, throw it off like a dirty shirt. Anger is the slow, seething emotions that boil. And it's, many times it's a chronic thing, um, and it just kind of always is bubbling away. Rage. That's a little bit different. It's a quick and sudden outburst. It's a blaze of emotion, and it flares up and burns with intensity. And when someone lets their rage loose many times, you know exactly what they're doing and what they're saying. Malice. This is the deep root that feeds both anger and rage. The malice in our hearts many times is what fuels our anger at others or our rage towards them. 
slander. That's speaking evil about others. It's trying to hurt that person with your words. You're trying to use your words like you use a sword and wound them. That's the point of slander. And then filthy language from your lips. Um, and this, there's all kinds of ways to describe it. It's obscene language. It's shameful. It could be coarse and, and, and abusive. Um, it's interesting, many, many times when we see a list like this and something comes at the end of it, many times it's because that's the focus where they really want you to end up saying, really deal with this one. And so it's very possible that Paul was saying, you know, all these things are important for you to deal with, but don't forget this one. Don't forget foul language needs to disappear from your lips. So there's three categories that he's given us in verse 5 and 8. Um, perverted passions, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil, desires, greed, which is idolatry. That would be perverted passions. Hot tempers, well, that would have been anger, rage, and malice. And then sharp tongues, it's the idea of slander and filthy language. And so he's very, very, very clear here in some statements that he's making. Uh, he is writing to believers, but he's writing to believers saying, hey, you know what? All of us need to constantly be going back to the Word of God and making sure that we're walking the way we're supposed to, living the way we're supposed to. There's an implication here. Verse 5, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, to your sin nature. Now, why do we need to put it to death? And what's going on with that? Well, Romans 8, 8, 8, I'm sorry, 8, 8 says, those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. That's strong words. So when Paul says to the Colossians, put to death, therefore, whatever's left of your sinful nature, think about what he's saying here. If you're controlled by your sinful nature, you cannot please God. My sinful nature is calling the shots in what I'm saying and doing. There's no way I can please God. That's exactly what he says in Romans 8.8. 8. Now, please understand, we're not talking about salvation. That's not... That's not what's being referred to here. This is our walk with the Lord. So when he says, um, <clears throat> those controlled by their sinful nature, it just means we've given in to some of the sins that we, that we know we shouldn't. But, and when we're doing that, there's no way that our walk with God can please him because we're not walking with God. We're walking uh, in sin. So it's not, not a sense of salvation, but it's certainly a sense of sanctification and growing or not growing in him. This is a, just kind of a statement, I think it's important. The new life does not come, and I'm talking about new life, salvation, uh, the new man, does not come as a result of successful daily battle with temptation. Okay? Think that one through. In other words, he's saying we are born again, but it's not by successfully beating down the sin that's around us. That would be works. That would be trying to earn your salvation. And, and that's not the case. We can never earn our salvation. So the new life that Paul, Paul is saying, put to death the old later on, he's saying, put on the new, has nothing to do with becoming a believer. It has to do with walking right with God as we should. Romans 6, 6 says this, we know that our sinful selves or our sin nature was crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power 
in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. It's a really great verse to go back to a lot. You know, if you're, if you're being tempted in an area and you're struggling with it and you don't want to give into it, yet it's, some, it's a struggle, a great way to look at it is to see whatever the temptation is and say, I'm not a slave to sin anymore. Christ lives in me. And I can say no to this with his power. And then I had a different direction. We are no longer slaves to sin. Great, great phrase to keep in our in our thoughts all day long. And this knowledge of God, His Son, and His ways is critical for <clears throat> putting to death our sin nature. Um, so Romans 6, 10-14, we've kind of spent some time looking through those. It says, The death He died, Christ, He died to sin once for all, but the life He lives, He lives to God. In the same way, verse 11 You know, Christ died for us. He died once for all. Sin was taken care of. And then in verse 11, it says, In the same way, count or consider yourself dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Um, It's the same thing as what Paul says. Put to death. Put to death that whatever belongs to your sinful nature. Well, Paul says it differently to the Romans. He's saying, hey, count yourselves or consider yourselves dead to sin. Dead to sin. You're not any longer a slave to sin. That whole idea of counting or considering ourselves. The the J.B. Phillips translation put it this way. I really love the way he worded this. In the same way, look upon yourself as dead to the appeal of power and power of sin, but alive and sensitive to the call of God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Isn't that amazing? What a great way to put it. Consider yourself dead to those things that are worthless, to those things that are going to take you to the wrong direction. You're dead to that. Consider yourself dead. You are not a slave to those things. Instead, instead, don't give in to those appeals of sin, but be alive and sensitive to the call of God on your heart. Be alive and sensitive to God working in and through you as He wants to see you continue to grow and walk with Him. So, we count ourselves dead. Um, not to let sin reign in our bodies. Um, Verse 12 is where it says that. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. That's why I said we are no longer slaves to sin. That means sin does not reign. And that's one thing we need to grab onto. Don't let sin reign. Rain. If I'm giving in to temptation and I'm doing something or saying something or watching something that I, that I know is sinful, what am I doing? I'm giving in to it. It has that power at that point over me. I'm not losing my salvation, but I'm losing my sanctification. I'm losing my fellowship with God. And Paul says, you're not a slave to sin. And he says, don't let it rain. Don't let it be there doing what it wants to do. So don't let it rain in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Verse 13, 
Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness. Ever stop and think about that? When we decide, well, I'm going to go ahead and, and, and do this. And, and you've got your conscience kind of screaming at you and hollering at you, and you give it anyway. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin. Basically, what we're saying is, here, sin, I'm with you. Let's do this. And Paul makes it clear. Don't offer any part of your body to sin as an instrument of wickedness. So do not continue to present yourself or offer your body to sin as weapons of wickedness. And that, that's the first part of verse 13. Don't offer your body um, to sin as an instrument of wickedness. 13, the contrast in the second part is incredible. So don't offer your body to sin as an instrument of wickedness. Instead, rather, offer yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life. Offer the parts of your body to Him as instruments of righteousness. It's powerful. Strong, strong words. And Paul's not writing them lightly. He's writing them to people in, in, Coloss- in Colossae that are struggling and wondering, how do, we, how do we keep going? How do we do this? Again, Philip's translation for that verse, second part of 13 says, like men rescued from certain death, put yourselves in God's hands as weapons for good for his own purpose. Isn't that awesome? That's, that's really, we are either presenting ourselves to be used for evil, or for God to use us for good. So you pass from death to life. Uh, give yourself to God. And let yourself be used by Him as a, as a weapon for good, as a weapon for righteousness. And verse 14 says, For sin shall not be your master, because you are not under law, but under grace. Now, you want to take some time later today or all week just to meditate on those verses and look at those things. I mean, there's some powerful statements there. Uh, I'm not a slave to sin. I don't, want, I don't want sin to reign. I want Christ to reign. I want to present myself to Him to be used by Him. So four statements came out of these verses for me. Number one, count yourself dead to sin. And keep on. The way this is written, it's keep on counting yourself dead to sin. Not just a one-time deal and you got it made. No, it's every day. Keep on counting yourself dead to sin. <clears throat> Two, do not let sin reign in you. Um, and again, it's don't let it continue. Uh, you know, why would you want to do that kind of thing when you know what God thinks of it? Why would you want to present yourself to wickedness and sin? Three, You've gone from death to life, so offer yourself to God. You've gone from death to life. That's the work of God when He saved you. And so now, since you have gone from death to life, count yourself dead to those things and offer yourself to God as an instrument for good. Fourth one, sin is not your master. Live by grace. Um, This is the one that's interesting. This one is not a, 
This is not a command. The other three are commands from the verses. This one is a promise. This one's a promise. Um, Sin is not your master, and by the way, you live by grace. What an incredible thing. What a powerful, powerful statement of exaggeration and and, um, overstatement put to death. Very, very strong statement. Um, Calling attention to the fact that we need to live our lives daily with a sense of, "This this is really important. This is really important that I walk with Christ, that I follow Him. Second Corinthians says that when we are in Christ, we are a new creation, and the old has passed away. And so when we think that through, again, think through, what am I doing when I bring this stuff that Jesus died for back in and, and, and do those things or think those things or say those things? So how do we put to death that sin that we struggle with? How, how can we count ourselves dead to that sin it, it takes submission on our part to God and, and, and asking for His work in our hearts and spirits. I think it takes a couple of things, just kind of things that might be helpful. We need to know ourselves and what it is that tempts us. What is it that tempts us? What is it that we struggle the most with? What is it that we fall into? And then... <clears throat> Think that through carefully and what it would mean and what it would look like to not to not give in to that, whatever that is. Second thing, think and pray about it before the temptation comes. Uh, I think sometimes it's really good to say, okay, this is this is an area that I struggle in, and and I don't want to struggle with that. So what kinds of things do I need to do to make sure that that is gone? and stays gone, that I don't pursue it in some way. And so we, we think that through and we pray about it. The minute you're being tempted by it, then that's too late to do that. At that point, you have to go into, okay, how am I going to face this temptation? But sometimes thinking about it ahead of time. You know, it's like a, when a pilot is flying. Michael was telling me this in Mexico when I was flying him one time, flying with him. We had just taken off a mesa, and um, he said, when I leave this airport, I know that if I turn right, there's a place I can put the plane down there, and he showed me where it was. And he says, if I can't go that direction, over this direction, I've got this. And then he said, if we get further down, I also know that there's water over here, and if we have to be in, in that kind of an area, that kind of setting where the airplane is filled. And you see what he's doing? He didn't wait until it happened and then try to make plans. He planned ahead just in case. Okay? And I think sometimes that... That has been a problem for me. I haven't said, okay, now this is something that happens to me from time to time. I don't want it to happen to me. So what can I do? What can I put in place so that that isn't there? And then we can talk about our triggers, things that kind of trigger us. And, And I don't know what the struggle for you is, whether it's foul language or eating to numb yourself or to feel good or Video games to escape, watching pornography. Let's just can, there's all kinds of things that we can give into. You've probably heard this thing before. It's, uh, it's I call it halts, but it's 
if you're hungry, angry, lonely, tired, or stressed. Those are times to watch out. Um, for me, many times, it's tired. Because with tiredness, sometimes confusion comes, sometimes doubt comes, all kinds of things during that come for me. So when I start to get tired, I need to think through, okay, what do I need to do right now? I'll finish what I can and then sleep. That's the best thing I can do. Or maybe I've gone a long time without eating and my blood sugar's dropped and I'm reacting in, in ways I don't want to to people around me. And I say, wait a minute here, that, that, I can take care of this. I don't have to give in to this. So whatever that is for you, I just want to put that out there. Those things are very real. I've seen them for many, many, many years now. That People will struggle with whatever it is when one of those things or something similar um, comes along. Being lonely or being overwhelmed, those are the kinds of things that can, can really hit us. Um, if we struggle and we do fall into temptation, and, and we do at times, our desire is not to, but when we do, we need to call it what it is, and that's sin. And we don't need to blame anybody else but ourselves. It's our sin. And then we need to do what 1 John 1 9 says. We confess it and we take it to the Lord. And He forgives us and cleanses us. And we're in immediate fellowship again. It's interesting because many times um, when Carol and I have had fights, especially early in our marriage, we'd have a fight and it was 99% my fault. See, I, I got points for that one right there. <laughs> no, but it, so, so I'm, I'm to blame for this thing, and, and we've talked about it, and, and I, I've asked forgiveness, and she said yes, and I still feel like, Bleh. and 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 for me to keep going back and say, will you forget? Well, no, I already forgave you. It's over with. It's done. And sometimes we need to realize that we can confess it to the Lord, and it's gone. It's over. We need to remember that. So put to death, it's a figurative way of saying, I want to turn away from this sin. I've actually been in situations at times where we've taken time to write something that we're really struggling with on a piece of paper, and, and either nailing it to a cross that was there, just a symbolic way of saying, this is something that God already took care of, that Jesus already died for. In some cases, we just burned it in the campfire or whatever. But again, the symbolism was there to say, I don't have to take this on. I don't have to deal with this. I can ask Christ to help me and guide me and so that I can keep moving forward. Let's move on to verses 9 to 11. It's interesting. I, I don't know why Paul would say this other than um, perhaps in this kind of setting it was something that happened, but he says, don't lie to each other since you've taken off your old self with its practices. I know some of the places that I lived in South America, um, lying was not really considered bad. I mean, uh, you know, I'll give you an example. I would give a sermon, and, and I knew it was terrible. Carol knew it was terrible. But the guys that I worked with would come up and say, oh, brother, that's the best I've ever heard. Now, were they telling the truth? Well, strictly speaking, no. But what they were doing was saying, Mark needs to be encouraged. And so we're going to encourage Mark. Okay, so I understand, I understand that part of it, and maybe that was part of what was going on here, but Paul says, don't lie to each other. You've taken off the old self with its practices. And at some point in time with elders in Bolivia, we dealt with some of those kinds of issues. You know, when we say this, we're trying to, you know, say to the person we like them or like what they've done, but sometimes we say things, and it doesn't help the person. 
maybe we do need to help them a little. So, um, <clears throat> it's interesting. Don't lie to each other. And he says, since you have taken off, you have already discarded those filthy clothes. You've already done that. Um, you've gotten rid of your old self with its practices, your sin nature. Um, and, and so he's saying, you've done all that. Now, if, if lying is an issue with all of you, it's time to stop that. Don't let lies come between you. Don't let the fact that you're telling lies for whatever the reason may be um, destroy the trust that you have as brothers and sisters in Christ. Then he goes on in verse 10. He says, and put on the new self. So verse 9, you've taken off and discarded. Now he says, put on the new self. Put on the clean clothes. And the cool thing is, is we're replacing what was there. We're not just saying, okay, we're going to put these over the top of the dirty clothes. No, no, no. Get rid of the trash. Get rid of the dirt. Get rid of the stinky, foul things. Put on the clean. Put on the fresh. Which is being renewed in knowledge, personal ongoing growth, in the image of its creator made. Uh, we are made in his image. And so the new man is renewed and strengthened every day. What an amazing thing. And as we're walking with him, he, he gives us that strength to keep on going and and um, we just head, head on into fellowship with God and fellowship with our brothers and sisters. The purpose is to renew, and that's what he's talking about here, the knowledge of the image of the Creator is to renew that strength and that walk um, with Him. And then he says, here, there is no Greek, no Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. Christ is all and in. Now think about the barriers that are broken down here. And, and really, <clears throat> the point that he's trying to make right here is that in Christ, there are no barriers. In Christ, nationalities aren't important. In Christ, the language we speak doesn't matter. In Christ, whatever you want to say. And it really is unimportant because we are in Christ. And that's the critical thing. Christ is all and he is in all. Now just quick application. Verse 10, put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Uh, and, and again, that whole idea of putting on and being renewed because of it. Romans 12, 2 says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you'll test and approve what God's will is. So in in Colossians, he was talking about taking off and putting on and being renewed. And in Romans, he's saying, hey, don't conform to the world. Take off that stuff and be transformed. Put on the new self. Renew your mind. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind, which comes through the Word of God and the Spirit of God. 2 Corinthians 4.16 says something very similar. Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly, we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. And I don't remember exactly what Paul was going through at this time, but stop and think of the words he uses. Outwardly we are, being, we are wasting away. We're suffering in some form that he's going through. And he says, you know what? We're not going to lose heart. Yeah, we're wasting away physically, but inwardly, inwardly we are being renewed day by day. Uh, throw me in prison, lash me 40 times, 
do that a whole bunch of times. doesn't matter. This is what matters inwardly. I'm being renewed day by day. Verse 17. I love the way Paul describes what he's been through. Our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Go to that list in Corinthians where it gives you all the times he was shipwrecked, all the times he was beaten, all the times he was whipped, all the times that he suffered. And, and any one of many of those could have killed him. That's how severe many of them were. And yet, what does he say? Light and momentary. Because he's waiting for the eternal glory that comes. Verse 18, Paul says, no matter what we're going through, <clears throat> we fix our eyes not on what is seen, not on the problems, the difficulties, the whip, the sunken boat, not going to fix our eyes on that, but on what is unseen, the things of God, things above. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And Paul says, yeah, the real world, it's been pretty rough on me. That's okay. I'm not focused on the real world. I'm focused on the Lord Jesus Christ. And as I focus on the Lord Jesus Christ and seek to live for him by the power of the Spirit, all of these things I've gone through become light and momentary troubles. Wow. So outwardly he's wasting away, inwardly he's being renewed. Our problems and difficulties are light and momentary. We fix our eyes on what is seen, unseen because it's eternal. So that is what we're called to do, to put on the new self and to be renewed. So what's our takeaway? <clears throat> Verse 11. Here, there is no Greek, Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. Christ is all. And in all. Paul made it very clear to me that every believer in Christ, we are all one. We are all part of the Church of Christ universal across all the centuries. And there's not supposed to be dividing walls between us. I went ahead and looked at that verse 11 and, and put it this way in a chart. If, if a person was in Christ, there were no national barriers. Jewish, Greek, religious barriers, cultural barriers, economic barriers. Doesn't matter what the barriers would be. But my brothers and sisters in Christ, there's no barriers between us. Why? Because in Christ, all the barriers are broken down. In Ephesians 2, Paul talks a little bit about that. Let me just kind of go through this very quickly. Don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews who were proud of their circumcision, even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. In those days, you were living apart from the Lord, apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel. You did not know the covenant promises God had made to them. You lived in this world, and this was the plight of all of us, you lived in this world without God and without hope. That's what it means 
to someone who's not a Christian. They may not even know it, but, but there's not a whole lot of hope without God. Verse 13, but now, but now you have united, you've been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him. How? Through the blood of Jesus Christ. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles, slaves and free, men, it, men women, it doesn't matter, in Christ. In Christ. And it says, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. Many people feel that the, there was a, the wall that kept the Gentiles out of the inner part of the temple uh, compound uh, warned anybody that was not Jewish that if they went past that point, they could be executed. And many people feel that's exactly what Paul's referring to when he says, um, Jews and Gentiles into one people, in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. So that wall's not there. And the other thing he did was the veil in the temple was torn, top to bottom. So two things happened to show us that through Christ, and when we're in Christ, we are not wandering around as hopeless outsiders. We are not separated from God. We are not excluded in any way, shape, or form. Matter of fact, Paul says, but now you're united with Christ. You've been brought near by his shed blood on the cross. I've said this many times, but I really believe this with all my heart. At the foot of the cross, we are one. We are saved the same way. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That's it. Can't add anything to it. Can't take anything away from it. I've had the privilege of uh, visiting in many countries and meeting people um, that were amazing servants of God. And I was thinking about this the other day. There's some people that as I as I've grown in my life, that I kind of held people, put them on pedestals, because I was very, very much thankful for what they did for the Lord. And as I found out who they were and what they did, they really impressed me. Um, Charles Spurgeon was one. Lilius Trotter, as she um, was in Africa, Northern Africa. Billy Graham, Louise Plow, Elizabeth Elliot, and 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 others, perhaps that I would have on a pedestal and and think, wow, that's. I'm thankful that God gave those people to the church to be the help that they are. And then I thought about it even further, and I thought, man, there are multiple thousands of men and women who have faithfully served down through the centuries all over the world, and none of us would even know who they are. But we are one with them. They don't need a pedestal. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. And by the way, all of those people stand shoulder to shoulder with Spurgeon, Trotter, Graham, Palau, and Elliot. Shoulder to shoulder. At the foot of the cross. So it would be wrong of me to think more highly of those that have more learning, more resources than those that have less. And what a good lesson to learn. 
Christ does not think more highly of Luis Palau than he does of Eliseo Suniga, guy I know working in Bolivia. And this is the critical part in all of this. Christ is all and in all. There's no difference. Some are famous maybe in the world's eyes, Christian's eyes maybe. Some are totally unknown. There's no difference. We are in Christ together. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your word, and thank you for these encouragements. Lord, you've called us to walk with you and to honor you and to serve you, and sometimes we find that hard. We freely acknowledge, Lord, that we don't always walk as we should, but we ask that you, by your Spirit, would make those times crystal clear in our own minds and hearts. And then, Lord God, help us to turn away and confess and then step out in obedience to you. Thank you for your word. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and respond with one more hymn. Let's sing this prayer asking to God, uh, asking God um, to, do, to do something special in our own hearts and address to Him in ways that maybe we haven't even thought of or realized before. Let's sing together. We praise Thee, O God, for the Son of Thy love. This from Isaiah 55. Seek the Lord while he may be found, and call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways, 
and the unrighteous their thoughts, and let them turn to the Lord, and he will have mercy on them. And now to our God, for he will freely pardon. Thank you, Lord, for this day, and we pray that you would guide us and help us to follow where you lead this week. Through Christ's name we pray, amen. Have a great week serving our King.